Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Welcome to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are sponsored by azfirearms.com, the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. I am Cheryl Todd, one of your hosts. And I'm the other host, Dan Todd. We've got a great show today. I'm a little nervous about it. It's called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. <laughs> How you like that? I, I think it's great. I I would like to... I don't know where this is going, but we're going to start with good, bad, and the we'll ugly. We'll find out as it unfolds is before Clint you. Is Clint Eastwood going to be here? Oh my gosh, wouldn't that be amazing? Oh, I'm going to make a note of that. <laughs> now, we do have a great show today. Our first hour, we're going to have Vera Koo. She is a eight-time National Action Pistol Bianchi Cup Woman Championship, who holds two world individual titles. She was born in China, moved to the United States at age 12. She never touched a gun before she was 47 years old. How about that? And has been winning awards ever since. She is showing no signs of slowing down as she turns 70 this year. Isn't that incredible? Vera is, going to, is, is, good. Vera is doing good by setting an awesome example to men and women that age is just a number. Age is just a number. I mean, think about that. All right, so you're so, born in China. They don't, they don't have guns there, right? Right. And so I don't know where in the U.S. she grew up, but to think that she never, ever was a, a shooting enthusiast until she's nearly 50 years old, and she just starts winning championships, like left, right, and center. So we'll say Vera is the good, right? She, definitely. In, in our theme, the good, the bad, and the ugly, she is definitely the good. And then we have Dave Workman. Dave Workman is an author, senior editor of thegunmag.com, communications director for the Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms. He's an award-winning outdoor writer, former member of the NRA Board of Directors, and recognized expert on Washington state gun laws. Here to talk about some very bad the Obama administration did with guns. Called the Fast yes. and Furious. Yes. Very so we, bad. We know that's the bad. Mm-hmm. Now, he's not the bad, but the story he's going to tell us is the bad. Is that right? <laughs> right, right. Just go with me here, okay? I okay, just have but to think of a theme. And I'm so. worried about this one, Cheryl, because <laughs> well, who now gets we to have be the, the ugly, ugly, right? <laughs> Jeff Gersh? I, I don't think he's ugly. He's not, but then what he's going to talk that? about is oh, ugly. He is the executive director of Arizona Off-Highway Vehicle Coalition, a division of the Bureau of Land Management, and Jeff helped clean up some really ugly trigger trash a couple of weeks ago. Trigger trash. That would be what? Trigger trash is anything that uh, we shooting enthusiasts leave behind on public ranges. So, you know, those plastic uh, shotgun shell cartridges that that spit out the side of your gun and just lay there, never biodegrade. That's trigger trash. How about when you haul your washer and your dryer, your old defunct washer and dryer out there and use those as targets and then leave them? Or right. how about the massive cardboard box that your um, big screen TV came in 
that you take out to the desert range and shoot full of holes and leave there. And with each of these, it's not so much that you've taken things out to use as targets, but don't leave them there. Reminds me of a time we did a big 4th of July shoot one year, many, many years ago. This mm-hmm. would be before Cheryl, B.C. And we took, a, we <laughs> took an old car. before Cheryl, that's good. <laughs> we took an old car out to the desert, and there must have been 100 of us, and we just blew that car away with sh- shooting. Mm-hmm. The car weighed more when we pulled it out. But we had a tow company come and pull it. Yeah, it was full of bullets. Oh, my so, God. So, you know, you know, you could take the trash out there and shoot it, but you need to pick it up when you're done and bring it back. And that's the thing. So they, they did a real big cleanup a couple of weeks ago. So he's going to talk to us about that. And, and that is the ugly. Let me tell you, the stuff that people leave out there, it's terrible. And, and it's going to end up costing us our privilege to use these public lands because public lands belong to us, but they don't belong to you to to leave your junk laying around right i remember we did a cleanup last year and a week later we came back there and it was a mess again Ah, it was so frustrating bureau of land management or concerned citizens are going to say stop right and they're going to pull us from that well our second hour Mm -hmm. we've got some more ugly yeah jeff gersh is going to hold us over poor jeff he's going to hate me after this (laughs) jeff you're not ugly but the, the the work you do is also good but it's about ugly stuff. And so we're going to hold Jeff over for the second hour because this is a big story and mm-hmm. we really need to talk about it more. What? Well, the thing that he's going to talk about mostly in the second hour is the, the ugly accidents that happen when people go out on these ranges with a firearm that they're not familiar with, with not enough training and or maybe no training at all. Um, and then they have to act as first responders. Who knew that the BLM acted yeah. as first responders? And he was telling us that when you, a gun show, mm-hmm. right after a gun show, there seems to be a lot of accidents out in the desert with people that buy guns that they're not familiar with. Because, hmm. yeah, everybody wants to go out and, and pretend that they're, they're Clint Eastwood. So then our um, next guest will be John Marshall. He's the CEO, owner, and founder of The Drillmaster. He's an author and retired technical sergeant, having served 20 years in the Air Force with 14 of those years dedicated to serving the base honor guard program. John is going to talk about some bad policies affecting this training for the next generation of honor guards and ROTC cadets. All right. So now we're working backwards. Now we've done the ugly and the bad. So we got to round out with good. What's our good? Well, that would be Tyler Botts. He's a uh, marketing director of Alien Gear Holsters out of Idaho. He's going to talk to us about uh, his his company. He, he makes holsters, and uh, they're made in the United States. I like that a lot. That is very good. Good products, right? Right. Good company. So that, that kind of rounds out our, our theme there with the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right. I'm having fun with the music today. Okay. Then, of course, we always end out with our Responsibly Armed Citizen Report and Dan's Tip of the Week. So, I'm excited for our show today, but I'm also feeling well-rested because we took a few days off and went over to one of our favorite places in California. Took a couple of days. Just uh, It was supposed to be the two of us, right? Celebrating our 31st <coughs> wedding anniversary. But we love to do everything with our daughter and hu- her husband and our little 
two-year-old grandbaby, Raylan. Just face it, Cheryl, we're, it's the grandbaby. <laughs> <laughs> well, we love Jason and Cassie, too. Yeah, I but... guess Jason's okay. Oh, And, of course, I love my daughter. So we we have bad. a great time with him. So we so do this. Uh, we go everywhere with them. That's, they're part of our lives. So. Yeah, so we, we took them over for a couple of days. And um, Pacific Terrace, it's, a, it's right on Pacific Beach, which is near La Jolla, Mission, uh, Mission Beach. Mission Beach. is. Yeah. We love it there. It's just a beautiful place. The people are super friendly. But um, but so we drive our, our truck over to California. Oh, our truck. It's it's a it's a, a wrap. We have a wrap on it. And it has AR-15s and belts of ammo and American flag. And it's all decked out. There's not a square inch on it that doesn't have something to do with guns on it. And it amazes me. Every time I go to California, if I get out of my truck... People come to me and it's, it's, it's neat, but it's sad too, because well, a lot we of, used to be afraid that they were going to throw eggs at us, right? right? Cause you're in California and the gun laws are just so tight. So we're thinking, well, everybody's anti-gun and they see this circus wagon of a truck driving down the street and they're going to pelt us with eggs, but it's the opposite. No, they, they tell us of the days they wish were here again, mm-hmm. where, you know, they, California used to be the biggest market for guns. Mm-hmm. I mean, the big Great Western show, all the things happen there. But they come and they tell me their stories about, oh, I wish I could have this. I had to give my guns up to move to California because my job transferred me. There's so many sad stories out there and got to thinking about it. And why does this happen to a gun, I mean, a, a city, state that is so gun, pro-gun? Used to be. Right. And it's, I think it's because the gun owners keep quiet. Mm. But the people that don't like guns are pushing it down our throats, they're pushing it down our kids' throats, they're pushing it everywhere. And I, I know there's some big, strong people in California that wanted to keep our gun rights there, but the majority of them just kept silent. Yeah. And, and so their majority, the majority that talks the most gets what happens, I That's guess. That's true, and it matters how you vote. It right. really does. And you can't just say, oh, that guy's got an R by his name, so he's clearly going to support my gun rights or that guy's got a D by his name. So he's clearly not going to support my gun rights. You've got to do your research. You've got, you've got to know. Well, I want to get to a news story real quick before um, we have to go to commercial, but this comes out of North Carolina. Okay. And the title is North Carolina high school opens an indoor gun range. No, there's Serious. a mistake there somewhere. This is in bearingarms.com and it was dated 421, uh, 16. 2016 it says a high school in Smithfield, North Carolina now offers another lane of study for some students. Members of the Army Junior Reserve Officer Training Corps program are able to study their aim on campus. The JROTC built a 1,200 square foot six lane indoor shooting range at the Smithfield Selma High School and students began using the facility last week. The $10,000 in cost for the range was donated by the North Carolina Wildlife Resources Commission and the NSSF, National Shooting Sports Foundation, who we are affiliated with. Although cadets will be shooting with Daisy Pump air rifles, they still need to go through extensive firearms training before being allowed on the gun range. Uh, quoting Commander David Wegman, there is a marksman safety test that they have to take and everyone has to pass at 100%. In addition to that, they have to sign a safety pledge to get permission from home and finally demonstrate on the range they know how to handle one of these air rifles safely. There's only four students right now, but he's hoping to have all of the seniors certified by fall. And despite the national debate about gun violence and school shootings, this commander said that the shooting ranges pose no threat. The procedures we have in place ensure that we will 
do the same thing the same way every single time. And one of the junior cadets said that safety is a privilege, a priority on the range, and that when you're around others, uh, you know, you've got to know that they're as well trained as you are. And so I think it's a, a great now. Now, one of them, we got to run, but one of them uses the word weapon. Oh, we're not supposed to say that. <laughs> we will talk about that later, Dan. That is a no-no word. Uh, a firearm is not a weapon. Yeah, it can be, but it's also a defensive tool, right? Well, stick around. We have a huge show ahead of us. The good, the bad, and the ugly right after this. That's me. <laughs> hard to beat debt you've got to think of creative ways to get your income up here's an idea sell some stuff at auction start with locally owned and operated potofgoldestate.com the owners dan and cheryl todd have over 60 years of combined experience in selling antiques collectibles guns coins and jewelry and over their many years in business they've earned the trust of thousands of people just like you whether you're saving for a rainy day emergency fund or paying down debt let potofgoldestate.com help you get the extra cash you need. Potofgoldestate.com will purchase your items outright, or you can consign them to their twice-a-month online auction. Pot of Gold's nationwide online auction is a great place to get top dollar for your collectibles. They specialize in everything from antiques, coins, high-end collectibles, to cars, boats, guns, and more. Get started today at potofgoldestate.com, or visit them off I-10 and Dysart Road in Historic Avondale for some live auction action. For more information, visit potofgoldestate.com. That's potofgoldestate.com. Hey ladies, Cheryl Todd here from azfirearms.com. Many of us ladies are taking the important step of becoming responsibly armed, but it can be an intimidating process. And with all the politics swirling, a first-time gun buyer, whether a guy or a lady, might feel uncertain about where to begin and who to trust. At azfirearms.com, we are a small, friendly, family-owned shop that specializes in first-time gun buyers. We are staffed with knowledgeable people who are ready to help answer all of your questions. My husband husband Dan and I pride ourselves on having a safe, no-pressure environment. Once you have decided on a purchase, azfirearms.com partners with professional firearms instructors who will train you to become a responsible, safe, prepared, and proficient gun owner. So ladies and gents, when you are looking for personalized service and a huge selection, come to azfirearms.com in Old Town Avondale off the I-10 and Dysart Road or visit us on the web at azfirearms.com. Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform, and sometimes we have a little bit of fun with our theme music. That, of course, is the good, the bad, and the ugly from the, the 
Clint Eastwood movie. What was that, back in the 60s? Yeah, she was going to call it The Good, The Bad, and Danny, but she decided, uh, <laughs> well, ugly's good enough. So. Oh, stop. Anyway, we are sponsored by azfirearms.com, the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. And like I said, our theme today is the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we are starting out with the good. Our first guest is competitive female shooter Vera Koo. Vera is an eight-time national action pistol Bianchi Cup woman champion who holds two world individual titles. Vera, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Oh, I'm so excited to bring you to the show. How are you today? I'm good. Fantastic. So I've just been bragging on you here (laughs) that you never even touched a gun until you were like 47 years old. Am I right about that? Uh, Not quite. I got into the uh, competitive uh, shooting sport when I was uh, 47. Okay. I learned uh, in the early 40s. Okay. Yeah. So still, later in life, it's not like you grew up with a gun in your hand. So, you know, this is such a great story about how you can reinvent yourself at any age, right? And, yes. And then here is, I mean, competitive shooting, that is, uh, I mean, you got to be an athlete, right? Well, I, I, I learned how to do a lot of sports because of my husband, because mm-hmm. he likes sports. And so you just, you, I just read a blog that you wrote where you say you exercise a lot, you feed your body right, because this is a demanding sport, and, and you've got to be athletic to, to keep up with it. Um, I, I do have an exercise regimen that I keep with while I'm competing, yes. And well, Vera, so I, I have to know, at 40, you decided you wanted to learn guns. What made you do that? Well, you know, I was uh, extremely afraid of guns because I know nothing about them. And my husband had a couple of uh, small firearms, and he tried to show me how to load and unload Mm -hmm. so many times, at least 12 times. But I I cannot remember any because I don't shoot, and I I didn't even touch the guns. So um, I went to a shooting range with some friends who has guns, and I had uh, some scary experience, like um, the friend handed me a thirty out 6 rifle and told me, well, just shoot it. Oh, he God. didn't tell me how to handle it. He didn't tell me how to press the trigger, nothing. Oh, he just handed it to me, and it was on the bench, facing down range, and then I picked it up, it, AD, right there, AD. And, you know, thirty out 6 gave me a big scare. <laughs> well, Vera, that's, you know, that's the worst thing that can happen to somebody that wants to learn how to shoot and I'm so glad that you were able to see past that. But so many times people are shot, shot, shoot big guns first and, uh-huh. they, and they get scared and they walk away from it. So thank you for sticking with it. Well, um, I, I remember turning around at the gun range and asked the range master if there's a place I can learn about handgun safety and learn how to shoot properly. And he told me where. I didn't um, go until about a year and a half later to a community college, and they provide the gun. It's a handgun shooting class uh, taught by police uh, enforcement, um, yeah, law enforcement officers. And um, I I just went there for introduction uh, to firearm safety. That was all my intention, was just knowing something about how to handle it safely. I, I stayed for seven quarters 
Seven quarters, and I got the instructor's um, permission to repeat some classes, like from beginning to uh, beginning, uh, intermediate, and advanced. And by the time I finished with it, um, I was um, a, a very uh, accurate shooter. And um, the instructor told my husband, "This is what if Vera wants to learn um, to better her skills, she should go into competition. You know, matches, go to mm-hmm. matches." Mm-hmm. And so, um, and, and we have no idea what he was talking about anyway. <laughs> so we went to gun stores and asked around, and they said what well, they had bullseye matches, uh, a weekly match. It was a eight-week aggregate. Um, and I, I remember getting discouraged by the, the person who was signing me up for it. Really? She, she, yeah, she told me, she says, well, you know, Competition is very, very cutthroat. And I said, okay. Uh, I, I wasn't like was going to come in and compete and, 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 um, and win or anything. I was just, gonna, I was just following instructions. Right. Okay. So anyway, um, so I started there, and the instructor also told my husband something. Hmm. He said, never let Vera stand back. And that means... If you win the top honor from the club, move on. Go to another place. Nice. Otherwise, you stop learning. Nice. That's great advice, and clearly it has paid off. So tell us about this Bianchi Cup that you have won eight times. <laughs> yes. Um, actually, Bianchi Cup came to me as a um, total surprise because I was introduced to... Um, I was told, actually, I was told by a famous steel shooter, Jethro Dionisio, um, his father, Joe Dionisio. He told me, he said, well, Vera, you should be um, doing Bianchi Cup. I had no idea what Bianchi Cup was. Uh, mm-hmm. It was 1996. And um, he introduced me to a gunsmith. He ordered a gun for me, and the gunsmith told me what kind of bullets to use. And then I went out and searched around and found a range that I could practice on and stay with a group of people um, who shoots Bianchi Cup. And how does Bianchi Cup differ from other competitions? Well, Bianchi Cup is, um, is deceptively simple looking mm-hmm. from the onset. It, it looks like, you know, you just have to do these four events and, you, you know, that, that was it. But... What keeps some of the us shooter linger on in the sport for the last 20, 30, 30, 70 years? I've been in it for 20 years, but there are shooters who are there for 37 years. Wow. This is how long the Bianchi Cup has been. And um, because it's very intriguing, it's very challenging, it, um, I would say that you kind of discover yourself through the process of competition there. Oh, wow. It's very zen, yeah. right? It's um, very demanding. Uh, I, I know that Bianchi Cup pushes me to my personal limits. That and is so cool. You know, a lot of times people make uh, comparisons to, you know, really trying to perfect a golf game. To, yes, yes. To mm-hmm. trying to be an expert and yes. excellent com- competitive shooter. Well... I think um, handgun shooting, competitive handgun shooting, is very much like a golf competition. It's 
is very uh, for Bianchi Cup especially because um, it requires a lot of skills, and but it's more than skills. It's just much more than skills. It's it's more than what meets the eye. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of concentration and and that sort of thing. Now. Uh, you know, we mentioned that, and, and we would not normally mention a lady's age, but you're just so amazing <laughs> what you have accomplished starting your journey in competitive shooting at almost the age of, of 50, and yes. you're, you're nearly 70 now, and to look at your pictures, people, you have to look on the Facebook page, you'll never believe that Vera is anywhere near 70, you are just stunning and perfect, And but are there any physical handicaps at, at your age in the competitive shooting? Do they give you any edges for, well, she's a girl, and, well, she's 70? <laughs> well, I wish that is true, but it is not. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it is not because you compete just like everybody else, whether you're a girl or a guy. Um, no, but for me, um, I was not, uh, this is the first time I anybody would actually hear me talking about it. Um, I have not been seeing Claire for n- nine years. Mm. Uh, at the beginning, it was just a normal progression of aging. And uh, recently, my obstetrician told me that they discovered a macular hole in my retina. Oh, my goodness. So um, so that's why for the last couple of years, it, it's increasingly um, uh, difficult for me to see, see well. Mm-hmm. So what I see is blur. Wow. I see the dot blur, and I see the target blur, and I see everything blur. That's wearing uh, prescription glasses. Oh and um, I just got my new glasses. But the thing I discover about our brains is that you can adjust. Mm-hmm. You teach your brain, this is the picture, and mm-hmm. you are supposed to hit the center. I love and that. I, I can do that. Mind over matter. Well, we've got to start wrapping up with you, but I want to be sure that everybody who now I know is very intrigued with you can can follow you. Do you have a web page? How can people, you know, watch all the competitions you're going to and, and cheer you on? Well, um, I I haven't had time to really dealt with my Facebook, uh, a Facebook, um, yeah, uh, page. And... Um, the blogs and everything, I think they can email me through my website. Mm-hmm. If they just talk about, um, if they mention Bianchi Cup, the, those emails will come through. Otherwise, they will be in the junk pile. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. But you do have an actually very beautiful webpage. So, and that's com, right? Yes. And that's V-E-R-A-K-O-O.com. Yes. And, I mean, you've got a beautiful gallery up there of photographs of you competing and that sort of thing. And I think there's a contact page on there. So um, I hope definitely people will watch your journey as it unfolds. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Vera. We will uh, hopefully run into you at maybe the NRA meetings or, or someplace real soon. Okay. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Stick around. We still have a lot more to come up with the good, the bad, and the ugly. The next one coming up is a bad. We're going to be talking about the Fast and Furious scandal. Stick around.
Hey everybody, this is Joey Rocket Shoes Dylan, world champion gunslinger and Hollywood gun coach. In the Westerns, there's always a good guy and a bad guy, and sometimes the ugly guy. And I always root for the good guy, which is why I'm here to tell you about the good folks over at azfirearms.com. They are straight shooters and always give you the best deal in town. azfirearms.com is the biggest little gun shop in Arizona and have something for every single gun enthusiast. Long guns, pistols, hunting, military, law enforcement, home protection, you name it. And when you've got some guns to sell or trade in and trade up, azfirearms.com are the folks to see. Geez, they bought a cannon once. They are family owned and operated, friendly staff, courteous, totally reliable. azfirearms.com will give you the best value for your used guns. So stop in, see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd at azfirearms.com in Old Town Avondale off the I-10 and Dysart Road and tell them Joey Rocket Shoes Dylan sent you. Don Collier here, letting you know that you won't get fool's gold at Potty Gold Auction. They're the genuine article. Potty Gold Auctions off guns, coins, jewelry, and antiques of every kind. Stop in and see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd in Avondale, Arizona for some live auction action. Or check them out on the web at pottygoldestate.com. Auctions take place the first and third Tuesday of every month and are full of a great mix of antiques, collectibles, jewelry, guns, and coins. Visit our beautiful air-conditioned showroom off the I-10 at Dysart Road at 215 East Western Avenue in historic downtown Avondale. You will find a friendly and knowledgeable staff, comfortable chairs, and we even serve free birthday cake at every auction. Or bid from the comfort of your home at potofgoldestate.com. Don't miss out. Everything is going, going, gone at potofgoldestate.com. Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, educate, and inform. We're sponsored by AZ Firearms, the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. You know, our, our theme today is the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we're doing the bad right now. And we're, uh, we're going to have Dave Workman, author, senior editor of the GunMag.com, communications director for the Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms. Uh, he's an award-winning outdoor writer, former member of the NRA Board of Directors, and a recognized expert on Washington state gun laws. And um, the main thing about Dave that we love is he brought out this Fast and Furious thing. Well, and he's still writing about it. And uh, for the listeners out there who think that the Obama administration is one of the most transparent in human history and that Fast and Furious is merely a Hollywood movie franchise, I'd like to have you meet Mr. Dave Workman. Dave, are you with us? Oh, I'm with you. <laughs> Better um, than to be against you, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely want you on my side as well, sir. So you wrote in, at examiner.com on 418. The, the article you wrote was years later. Obama administration still is skating on Fast and Furious. Now, what, what, do, what do you say to people that don't even know? What the heck is Fast and Furious except for some movie about a bunch of cars? Well, see, that's the uh, the thing, uh, the problem, I guess, with America. You know, we have a short attention span. Back in uh, December 2010, uh, a um, a uh, uh, border patrol agent by the name of uh, Brian Terry was killed down in Arizona, and uh, a couple of the guns that were recovered at the uh, crime scene happened to have come from a 
uh, so-called sting operation that the ATF was running down there at the time that actually allowed about 2,000, maybe more than 2,000 firearms to uh, fall into the hands of, uh, uh, I guess, Mexican drug thugs and, and all kinds of other bad people, and, and uh, they wound up in Mexico. Uh, two of them wound back on our side of the border, and, and they were recovered down there where Brian was killed. Uh, this unleashed a, a scandal, really, led to congressional hearings, uh, it was revealed that uh, uh, this was a uh, what one agent actually called a, a perfect storm of idiocy. Uh, <laughs> and I couldn't even put it better than that. I actually talked to that guy, did an interview with him. Uh, he testified before Congress, uh, uh, and uh, this came up in the, uh, the House uh, Committee for um, uh, Government Reform. Long story short, here we are uh, five years later, six years later, and there's really not been a lot done. Uh, the Obama administration uh, sat on a, about 20,000 documents uh, claiming executive privilege. Uh, a court finally threw that out, said they had to turn over the documents. Uh, what has transpired in recent history uh, has been a kind of a revelation that uh, the administration really knew more about this than they were letting on. But and, they, no, they, really? they didn't. They still haven't released all the documents that they're asking That's for, have true. they? Yeah, and yeah, you, you're right. They haven't released all the documents, and then we're sitting here saying, "Oh, say it ain't so." You mean they're trying to cover something up here? <laughs> <laughs> Hate and, to be cynical, but I'm telling you. Well, yeah, it's just. Uh, uh, it's been it's been kind of a horror story because uh, you know for years people in the firearms community were standing there scratching their heads saying wait a minute you know uh, you keep talking about guns falling into the wrong hands you just gave two thousand firearms to these people and um, so here we are today uh, they are begrudgingly turning over at least some of these documents, uh, and uh, that's what led to my headline. They're still skating on Fast and Furious. Uh, I think that uh, it would be really nice to have a, a change in the attorney general, which means we're going to have to change the administration come November, and uh, go after some of the guys that, that really screwed this thing up. Uh, I, I can't say for sure that there's been uh, any lying to Congress, but we need to find that out, and uh, we need to make sure that something like this never happens again. Well, I think there are a few congressmen that actually thought this was a bunch of baloney, but most of them, the majority, seem to want to get to the truth. This is a terrible thing. I, I can't get the words out of my thought about what Eric Holder said I am the attorney general, as though he's clear from all this wrongdoing because he's the attorney general. Right. Well, he was being questioned. He got very um, indignant that yeah. he should even be questioned. And I, as as firearms gun store owners, as gun store owners and FFL holders, which is the federal firearms license holding that we have, we are held to such strict letters of the law to be sure that all of our I's are dotted, all of our T's are crossed. 
And then we hear the president stand up in January and say, we need more gun laws to keep people safe. And I just think, how can they say any of that with a straight face? How can they hold us accountable for, you know, oh, we wrote, you know, drive instead of avenue on somebody's form. Or actually, we don't write it at all. The customer does. Maybe we didn't catch it. And then they've got 2,000 guns that they have allowed in the hands of people they know have no business owning firearms. It just, it is especially offensive to me. And it's such an affront to what we do. Well, I, I have kind of a theory, and I'm not the first one to, to offer this, but I think the Obama administration thinks of American gun owners as the enemy. Mm-hmm. For sure. And, uh, you know, this business that they, that they announced yesterday, uh, they, they want to um, uh, add some more gun laws. And, and uh, I wrote about this uh, yesterday in uh, my column. Uh, at examiner.com, seattlegunrightsexaminer.com, they're they're talking about smart guns again. Mm. And you know, you're a you're an FFL. You know that the really smart gun, the the smart about the gun is between the ears of the person who's holding it. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> well and, said. Well, you know, other than that, it's just a great big heavy paperweight. So they're saying uh, our guns are stupid. Then I mean, something <laughs> our guns don't have brains. You know, they're a piece of metal. Uh, well, that, they want they want to have them, you know, with the uh, the smart technology, with the fingerprinting and all of that. And, you know, I'm saying if there is a good product out there to be made, how how fast the lines uh, form when the new iPhone comes out? If it's a good product, you don't need the, the president to say, hey, we're going to shove this thing down your throat uh, and and make people make smart guns and make retailers carry smart guns. Some, yeah, that's that's the fear that uh, happened. Uh, you know, New Jersey passed a law several years ago that once a smart gun was being retailed anywhere in the United States, gun dealers in, in uh, New Jersey had to concentrate simply on selling nothing but smart guns. Mm-hmm. And uh, that has been the problem uh, ever since the, that law was passed. Now, I haven't heard anybody in the firearms community, not the National Rifle Association, not the National Shooting Sports Foundation, Second Amendment Foundation, Citizens Committee, none of those guys have said anything about, no, we can't have smart guns, we've got to stop this technology. Nobody's saying we can't uh, advance technology. My gosh, that's how we got uh, bolt-action rifles, that's how we went from uh, muzzle loaders to lever-action rifles single-shot pistols to revolvers and, and semi-automatics and on and on and on. Those were great advances in technology, but nobody said at the time that those things were developed that you have to own them. And this is where uh, we're getting out into the weeds with this. Uh, the mandate part of smart gun technology is that the anti-gunners want to force everybody to have smart guns and we're sitting back here thinking no no wait a minute that's uh, you know you can't tell us to buy a product gee wish that's that'd be almost like obamacare yeah but uh, that's what i was so, thinking that's working that's yeah, working yeah. real good for us right now isn't it oh absolutely <laughs> we can we can see how well that's functioning mm. um and, and so uh, he's, he wants to have a report back from the DOJ and uh, the military 
by October mm-hmm. on smart gun technological advances. Um, yeah, the DOJ, I, the DOJ has been working real good for us, too, lately, too, haven't they? Well, yeah. The story that I wrote yesterday details uh, some parts of this report, the 16 pages long, uh, that it was released uh, yesterday uh, that gave uh, the president uh, this this uh, background so he could he could uh, declare that gee whiz we're gonna we're gonna uh, go after smart gun technology so far it really hasn't worked uh, the part of the story talks about how Smith and Wesson tried to develop a gun Colt FN uh, and this, several different people have tried to develop guns there is one firearm out there it's a 22 caliber pistol supposedly operates off uh, uh, smart gun technology. Uh, apparently it works, but not everybody wants to have a twenty two caliber semi-automatic pistol. Well, Dave, and, the thing that, that, I'm sorry, but you know, the thing that really bothers me about this, look how much money Apple has put in their iPhone. They've put billions yeah. and billions of dollars in it to make the it, make it work all the time. My phone doesn't always work. Do I, would well, I ever go to something, uh, that kind of technology? I still want my hardcore regular gun because I, you yeah. can't trust a, electronics that much. Well, I'll tell you, uh, just the frosting on that cake that you just mentioned, uh, a couple of years ago, we had a uh, smart gun technology uh, symposium up here in Seattle and a room full of people, they were talking about smart guns and uh, how, how, how well the, uh, the technology would work. They were going to give us a slideshow. They couldn't make the slide projector work. It oh. malfunctioned. <laughs> See? Gosh. Does that tell you something? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm sitting with uh, the other reporters there, and uh, the guy sitting next to me beat me to the question. And uh, he's a, a dear friend of mine, a exporter from Cairo TV up here. Uh, and he said, "Now no, wait a minute, uh, something's wrong here. Uh, you want the whole world to believe that these things work and you can't get the slide projector to work? And, and I, I thought the room was going to come down. <laughs> that is hilarious. Hey, we've got to run. But before we do, tell people how they can follow your work, which is very important work. Well, that's very kind of. Yes, I'm at SeattleGunRightsExaminer.com. I, I write a daily column for them. Uh, and I encourage people to go in there, read it, and leave a comment. That always helps mm-hmm. uh, let people know they're reading. You can also uh, read my stuff at thegunmag.com. That's a uh, online and in print version uh, of a magazine owned uh, by the Second Amendment Foundation, uh, which is based up there in Bellevue, Washington. So thegunmag.com and seattlegunrightsexaminer.com. Uh, have at it, uh, and that's for your reading pleasure. <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, our information expansion, because we have to be informed, especially in this voting season. Uh, you know, we can't just sit on the fence. We can't just sit back and let somebody else do the voting and make our decisions for us, because that's how we end up in some of these messes like Fast that's, and Furious. That's right, yeah. Uh, we need to, uh, all of us need to vote. If you're not registered to vote, Go out and register to vote. And don't let me down. Don't let yourselves down. Come November, we're going to need every vote we can get. I hear you. Hey, thanks so much, Dave. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Always a pleasure. All right. Bye-bye now. Hey, stick around because in our show today, the good, the bad, and the ugly, we have got some ugly trigger trash to talk to you about with Jeff Gersh right after this. 
And we're back with Cheryl Todd talking about the huge gun buying event at azfirearms.com. Oh, AZ, I get it as in Arizona. Yes, but... Oh, or AZ as in everything from A to Z. Well, yes, that too. But what I'm telling everybody about is that azfirearms.com is having a huge gun buying event to buy your old firearms all across Arizona and everything from A to Z. That's great news. See, my grandpa left me an old shotgun and it's just sitting on a closet shelf at home. So I can bring that into azfirearms.com and sell my gun? Absolutely. azfirearms.com buys, sells, trades, and even consigns your old firearms. Any vintage, any style, military, long guns, handguns, hunting, or home protection. Single items or entire collections. We offer the highest value for your used firearms in a safe and friendly environment, staffed by knowledgeable people. azfirearms.com is Knolltown Avondale off I-10 and Dysart Road. Come on down to the huge gun buying event every day through the end of the month at the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. And for all your firearm and ammo needs, visit azfirearms.com. Be a part of the gold rush and head on down to see my friends at Potty Gold Auctions in Avondale, Arizona. Or check out the auction online at PottyGoldEstate.com. These folks auction off guns, coins, jewelry, and antiques of every kind. Everything is going, going, gone. So you best hurry and tell them Don Collier sent you. Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, educate, and inform. It's sponsored by AZ Firearms, the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. You know, our theme today is the good, the bad, and the ugly, and that's why you're hearing this music. And uh, we've had the good. Mm-hmm. That was very cool. We've Coup. had the bad. The bad, the bad was the Fast and Furious scandal. Dave Workman. And now we have the ugly. But, you know, this is in studio, and I'll tell you, he's not ugly. <laughs> Okay, so it must be Poor about Jeff. it must be something about what he does. But we have we have uh, Jesh Gersh, he's the executive director for the Arizona Off Highway Vehicle Coalition, a division of the Bureau of Land and Management. Uh, Jeff helped clean up some really ugly tra- trigger trash, and so that's where the ugly comes that's from. That's right, trigger trash. Jeff, can you explain to us what that is? Uh, it's pretty much anything a person would bring out into the desert and use as a target and leave behind. So it's not f- trash until they've left it behind. Right. Correct. It, most of it belongs in a landfill. Mm-hmm. It could be your dining room table, your dresser. It could be propane tanks. Whoa, it could people be are shooting at propane tanks. <laughs> vacuum cleaners, TV sets, pretty, it, pretty much anything you could find in a home or your garage becomes trigger trash. Wow. That's a shame. I mean, that is shameful. Really? I, I looked for a, a soundbite of, of like, you know, Gunny or some drill sergeant yelling, yo, mama doesn't work here. But I couldn't find it. And I do a terrible impersonation. But that's the truth of it, right? Correct. Uh, what sometimes we think the public feels is that public lands is also your public dump. Mm. And 10% of the folks that do the wrong thing ruin it for 90% of the rest of us. It's true. And they have actually closed areas that we used to be able to, to go out and enjoy an afternoon of shooting on because of these issues, right? Correct. Um, it's, it's similar to any other use on public lands. We usually use um, off-highway vehicles as an example. Uh, let's say uh, a large group of dirt bikers frequent uh, an area with 10 miles of trail. And within a month, there's 20 miles of trail and the trees are down and the fences are cut and it's basically become um, a free-for-all. 
Hmm. Well, that would be grounds for closure or at least uh, some very strong law enforcement presence. Um, Same thing could happen for prospectors where they, instead of uh, panning for gold by hand, they come in with a backhoe. Whoa. You would lose your area to prospecting. So it's not much different, and I would say just as easy to lose for folks who like to target shoot on public lands. You know, I I like to come here. First of all, the Bureau of Land Management, that is a government organization that has the power to shut these things down, but yet they're out there cleaning the mess up. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we got to give them credit that they're not just wanting to go shut it down, that, you know, look for the first excuse. You guys are actually participating and and making cleanup crews to go out and clean this stuff up. It's not going to be very long that you're going to continue doing that. No, and one of the hard parts for the public to understand is federal land, whether it's Forest Service or BLM, the hardest part for an agency to do is to actually close it for public access. So it's it's the last ditched effort is closure. They will do everything they can to mitigate problems. Uh, they might do the cleanups. They might restrict where you can shoot or where you can ride a dirt bike or operate a rock crawler, but the the last thing they want to do and the hardest for them to do is actual closures. Mm-hmm. And so you guys do partner with other companies and organizations to organize these cleanups that aren't just about picking up the trash, but also you, you've got some proactive measures in place as well to try to, to educate. Um, I always think of, you know, I, I'm showing my age now, but I grew up out here in Phoenix and this might have been a national program I don't know but there was a commercial on and there was the the American Indian with his you know crying with the one tear coming out of his eye and you know, that really resonated it stuck with me it, it actually made an impact on me as a child to think about you know how am I disposing of of my garbage and am I part of the solution or am I part of the problem well remember last year when we did the cleanup out there on Miller Road and we had just got done, and a guy in a trailer with a bunch of trash drove out and went disappeared went from us, us. Yeah, and then later came back with an empty trailer. And I'm thinking, there's no dumps that, that, out here. Yeah, we had the one actually, tier. We, we did. You know, <laughs> we had the one tier. More, happening. it was more anger than the tear. But it's it's like it's ridiculous. I mean, th- there's so many places to dump. Uh, it's so true. Now, tell us about the cleanup. What What's the good that's coming out of this? All right. We, we had two um, public service projects in the last month and a half. We had our first one was on March 13th at the Table Mesa Recreation Area. And it's a multi-use um, area for hiking, mountain biking, horseback riding, off-highway vehicles. It's also access to the new boat ramps for Lake Pleasant that Game and Fish has put in. And it has recreational target shooting. Um, usually twice a year, we have to do a major cleanup at Table Mesa to pick up all of the target shooting trash. Now, this, is, this area is a little bit different than some of the others we have where people brought trash to dump and then target shooters use it as targets. At Table Mesa, they literally bring the trash to shoot at. It wouldn't be there otherwise. We, we've done a very good job of um, controlling the dumping, but it's almost impossible to be there 24 hours a day for the trigger trash. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other problems is because this area is a multi-use area, 
it's very difficult for the public to understand that when I go out there target shooting, that's not the only thing that's going on at Table Mesa. Mm-hmm. You might find the place you decide to shoot at, the ravine you're in is the horseback riding trail out of the park. Whoa. Or it's a dirt bike trail. Or what you thought was just a hillside is actually a rock crawler route. Well, how do people be careful about that? Well, our kiosks and our information uh, bases out there all have target shooting information. We actually have a QR code that you can scan at the, the places that the public shoots that it will tell you about proper etiquette and shooting in, in the Table Mesa area. Um, it's just been, it's very difficult because most of the Jeeps think there's only Jeep roads. The horseback <laughs> riders think there's only horseback <laughs> riding trails. And the mountain bikers think the same thing. It's all about us. Yes. Don't you know that? Yep. That's, we are such a self-absorbed society. And one of the other projects we did at Table Mesa at that time is we did uh, a fenced-in area to delineate where people target shoot versus the Jeep road that takes you south into more trail systems. At White Tanks, we had just over 100 people show up. Uh, we had over one, let's see, what would we have? That was over 1,040-gallon trash bags of loose trash and three 40-yard dumpsters of trash that we basically picked up with a backhoe clamshell that was stacked in piles. Three? 40 yard. yard. Think about a football field, right? Yes. 40 yards of a football field. A little over a three times. Yep. That is a lot, a lot of trash. Of trash. Yeah. You know, it's just so frustrating to me to think that, you know, people, you were telling me off the air that people kind of think, well, if I leave this dresser, right? Yep. Or this TV or whatever, I'm doing the next guy a favor. Yes. Because now I've given him a target. Something to shoot at. Now, one of the, the, the odd things we came out of this one, we had people waiting all the way back to the highway at White Tanks to come start shooting in the afternoon. We talked to those people and asked if they, to speed it up because they're all complaining that our favorite shooting place is now closed until you're done. You're more than welcome to help us. Here's a trash bag. No, we'll just sit and wait. Oh, my God. Oh. Yeah. And when we were all done. God forbid they should help. The next complaint was, well, what am I going to shoot at? You took all oh. the targets away. Oh, my goodness. When we asked, our, one of our law enforcement officers asked, well, what did you bring to shoot at? Well, I always shoot at what's here. Mm. And just for, for, for instance, we had problems this day, the day before the power lines and the fiber optic lines had been shot down <gasps> at White Tanks. It shut off the power supply for the mine where we were going to have the water and the water truck come from the following day oh so that God. we could do the cleanup. Saturday morning came, asked about the water truck. Pumps were off, tank didn't fill, took us another two hours to get water just so that we could water the ground so people could actually... Now that's got to be purposeful. I don't think that's a stray bullet running off somewhere. And some of the other problems, mitigating circumstance was uh, three or four cases of Bud Light. Hmm. To go along with the two, two, three yeah. shell casings. And we the do not mix booze and no. guns, people, ever, ever. Don't mix it with boating. I don't know about horseback riding. <laughs> it's not <laughs> some not of those other activities for off-highway vehicles or driving in the desert. I would hope it's not legal for, or at least frowned upon for target shooting and drinking. And Jeff, can you mm. can you cite? Can the Bureau of Land Management officer cite somebody for trash? Oh yes, yes. Um, it's resource damage. Uh, it depends on what you're dumping. It could be 
hazardous. Let's say you brought a 55-gallon drum out to that, and half of it's full of oil. Now you've, you've created a hazardous So it situation. could be a really good fine. So it could be a large, large fine. So you could, uh, when you're out, I mean, you could be behind a tree somewhere. Somebody pulls up, unloads their trash, shoots it, drives off, and they could get a nice little uh, ticket for that. Yes, they could. Uh, one of the things we have on our signs trying to explain is when an officer from the BLM or any other agency who has jurisdiction, say you're inside the city of Buckeye, Buckeye could cite you too for dumping. But one of the problems is we have no idea what you brought with you. Right. But if you're shooting it, what we usually say is you shoot it, you own it. Because mm-hmm. I have no idea that you didn't bring that 55-gallon drum. And if you came in a Volkswagen... You're not getting it home. That 55-gallon <laughs> drum isn't going home with you, so you'll probably pay for a fee to have it removed. Wow. Well, That's something Well, I remember last year at Table Mesa, we went out to, to just kind of see what you were doing, and there was a boat there. Oh, yes. Uh, being a desert, you would not believe the number of boats we get out of the desert. <laughs> okay. It's not Noah's Ark. It's somebody who wants to use it as a target and just dump it. They don't have any place to put it. Well, stick around. We've got more with Jeff Gersh. We're talking about some of the ugly things that the BLM has to deal with out in the desert. And what's coming up is the ugly injuries that people cause themselves because they go out, want to try out their new gun with no training whatsoever. Not a good plan. Jeff's going to tell us about it right after this.